So for this episode, I wanted to go back actually to like some of the stuff that the creepers have submitted. And I wanted to figure out like, what are some of the top requested cases? And I know that there's this massive list and I promise you everybody that we're going to get to every single one of those names on that list. But this one I wanted to focus on in particular with you, Stu, because I found like a new sense of interest in just taking a second look at the story because I knew it pretty well, but I wanted to revisit it because I haven't heard people talk about it in a long time. We're going to cover the mysterious case of Kendrick Johnson, who was a high school student who in a very, very bizarre circumstance um, was found dead in a strange way in his school gymnasium. And it has been the subject of debate for many years. Do you know the case outside of me talking about it? Because it wasn't a long time ago. It was like 2013, I think. I don't. Um, the name sounds very familiar, but I think just because it mm-hmm. sounds like a common name. Um, but whoa, found dead alone in a gymnasium? Yeah. When I get into some of the specifics on the case, you're you're going to be a bit freaked out about it. It might even jog your memory, actually. And I think Nancy has covered this case, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure she... She had some commentary on it. Um, I I will not do her voice because this is a very serious case, but I think she weighed in. I was going to say, I knew I could feel, I could feel her, her aura around, but. Well, she's a Georgia woman, isn't she? Or she is. Is this in Georgia? She is. This is in Georgia. This is in Valdosta. Valdosta. Is is that how you say Valdosta? (laughs) Valdosta? Valdosta. Wait. (laughs) Valdosta. Okay. That's where my cousin is from. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, good. It's good to have a Georgian on the line. Um, So just to quickly credit, you know, where this case came from, who was suggesting it, it is from Marvel Movie Talk on YouTube. And I think he's also commented on Spotify. He has been on it, (laughs) trying to get us to cover this case. So I really appreciate, we both appreciate, like, the persistence there because we're really excited to finally talk through it and go through some of the theories. Um and most of the height of this did come, like I said, at twenty around 2013 in the first year of the case, I would say, when the investigation was at its peak in terms of national awareness. And then it kind of died down for a while after. And I really haven't heard many people cover it on YouTube or podcasts or on TikTok in the last, like, two, three years. So I thought it would be good for us to revisit. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. And before I'm going to dive in, I'm just going to give a massive thank you just to everybody who is continuing to listen to and spread the word on Creep Time, the podcast. Thank you guys so much for supporting this podcast and telling your friends, telling your family, your coworkers. Stu and I are obsessed with you and we're so grateful that you stick around every week just to listen to us gap and catch new episodes. And we love you guys. We love you guys. I also love that the Creepers are like keeping us up to date on cases we've covered they're so good at that they're so good yeah they always fill me in on updates and stuff like that i see that in reviews i see that in like the spotify comments really the youtube comments too that's where i mostly see like theories getting tossed out yes so they're fantastic they're great yeah they're the best so thank you guys we really appreciate it if you're not already following or subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen whether it's spotify apple or youtube or amazon ding 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 (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Make sure that you do that so you do not miss a beat because we come out with episodes every Friday. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review because that really helps Stu and I. Not in terms of the podcast growing. It just helps us get through the day. <laughs> Especially the ones that say our banter is they're appreciating the gilly hicks those really just get me through my life so that i i couldn't have imagined the response to that would be as positive as it was and it made me nothing but joyous so i'm we're very grateful for you guys thank you so much and i guess with all that out of the way we're gonna dive into the top line of the case are you ready i'm ready okay so On January 11th, 2013, the body of 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson was found in his school gymnasium rolled up inside of a gym mat. And this took place in Valdosta is how you say it. Valdosta, Georgia or Valdosta? Valdosta. Valdosta, Georgia. And was shocking for this town and community as no one had even the slightest understanding as to how this could have happened uh, or who would have been behind it, really. These things didn't really happen in that town. And shockingly, what kind of seemed out the gate like maybe this was a foul play case, it was then seen from the autopsy of the medical examiner who was assigned to this case that Kendrick Johnson's death was going to be ruled an accident of his own doing. But this did not sit right with the family and those who were following the story. So they did go in and they hired their own pathologist who could perform a second autopsy in the case, which found that Kendrick died due to blunt force trauma from an external source, not of his own doing, and would suggest that this was the result of murder. So why do we have this initial autopsy report that completely omits those findings? The result of both autopsies would continue to be the subject of argument over this case, and there has never been an official suspect named in the investigation in Kendrick Johnson's death, although we have some speculation and a couple of students, which I'm going to get into. So this is Kendrick's story. Did that jog anything for you? Does that sound familiar or no? It doesn't, but I'm sitting here just like quaking in my boots a little bit because I have family that it's lives in Valdosta. And I'm like wondering if, I mean, I'm sure Valdosta, like you said, is a small town. It's pretty rural. I'm I'm sure something like this shook that little town to its core. Like. I- I was actually going to ask if you knew about this because the high school that it takes place in is Lowndes High, which is supposedly a big high school. There's about 3,000 students. So I think that might be like one of those situations where there's a bunch of small towns and they have one like like interconnected big high school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's just like that there's probably like two high schools and that's it sort of Um, Mm because I I don't – I have a family member that is – um, sort of like a half cousin of mine that lives there. And I'm wondering, I don't know where uh, they went to high school, but it would have been right around this time, um, which is mm. so eerie. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask you about that. I'm going to need mm-hmm. you to follow up on that after so I, I can will. hear if they have any like firsthand. I kind of wish I told you about this before I did the research so we could get some firsthand accounts. Well, then you'd be subject to Georgian hearsay. You'd be subject to the gossip. So better to keep better to keep it. That's true. Based. Let's snip the grapevine before she grows too long. So I'm going to get into some of the backstory just on Kendrick, so we can learn a little bit more about him. But also, I want to dive in right from the get go. Why you can already sense the county corruption is brewing mm-hmm. under this. You can feel it. I can feel it. So. Kendrick Johnson. At the time of his death, like I said, he was a 17-year-old junior at Lowndes High. This is in 
Valdosta, Georgia, like I said, where he was considered an outstanding student athlete. Kendrick was a hurdler in track, as well as being on the basketball team for his school, and he was also a safety on the football team. And from the records that I could find, he had pretty decent grades, and I think I always think that's impressive, considering how many after-school sports he was juggling. That's not easy. From someone who's never played sports, I'm going to say that's not easy. <laughs> not not easy, and it also indicates that he was most likely popular or like had a certain level of visibility in the high school. Like People probably knew who he was. I would say so, for sure. I mean, he's not described as an exceedingly outgoing kid, which is interesting. From those who knew him, they actually considered him to be somewhat shy. He was very polite. He was a stand-up kid. Um, and he, like I said, he was known to be a good student, but he was particularly really good with math and finance. And according to his family, he had no history of like odd behavior, nothing that could lead them to believe that any of this was of his own doing, really. Mm. But I would say most critical to this story in particular is that Kendrick Johnson was a young black student who was living in a part of Georgia that has a dark history of racism which many believe has undoubtedly played this big role in the case, just given who the suspects were, their parental connections, and the vast majority of those who touched this being white and also being connected to each other, like in terms of law enforcement. Mm. From potential motivations of foul play to possible conspiracies, alleged conspiracies of cover-up, there are quite a few angles to this case that I think could suggest that Kendrick was a target by the suspected students, and because of his race and the legal resources that his family could not afford, the case was brushed under the rug because those potentially involved were the children of some very high-profile people who could have had a hand in the Georgia investigation. And when we're talking about high-profile, I'm talking about former FBI agents as parents. Mm. Now, oh, before I'm going to jump into this, though, I know. I, And I'll get into some of the details, and I think when you hear some of the nitty-gritty of this... I, I feel like your inner Nancy is going to come out because you're going to be like, what in God's name? How could this have happened? You're, like, you're actually going to be fuming. I'm tampering how- her right now. I'm trying to keep her down. I'm trying to keep her at bay. <laughs> She's inside all of us, but I was furious by the end of writing this research. It's Ugh. insane. Nobody went to jail over this case. Now, before I jump in, though, because I am going to discuss some of like the conspiracy around this, I just want to toss this out, that these are just theories that Stu and I are going to talk through. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of us on this podcast. We're purely just discussing what has been reported online and what other people have theorized on. So this is all just an allegation, and these statements are not meant to harm anybody. Fair? I say fair. fair. I'll say fair. If Stu says fair, then I'm going to go. <laughs> So I'm going to give you a play-by-play really quick of the day, just so you know exactly how he was found and the nature of the scene. So on the morning of January 11th, 2013, Kendrick Johnson's mother actually came to her son's school. And she's pleading with the guidance counselors because Kendrick never came home the night before and he wasn't answering his phone. So Jackie Johnson, his mother, she waited up all night because she was totally concerned that she wasn't able to get a hold of her son. And like I said, he never came home and this was not like him. This was very unusual. So she waits up until after midnight before she finally decides, I have to call the police. Like, something's very wrong. She gets an incredibly lackluster response from the dispatch center. And they essentially told her that 
she should probably wait like 24 hours before they're going to take this seriously as a missing persons report. And they say he's probably out with some girl. I think there was another word they used for the girl. Uh, but like, I don't want to say heifer, but I think it was something along those lines. Got it. But like, yeah. So given that this call was made after midnight, she's kind of out of options first thing in the morning. And she can try to like work something out with the school to f- have them help her, like figure out what happened to Kendrick. So let's just start by throwing county police under the bus right out the gate <laughs> because <laughs> I just can't. We've talked about this before. I can't stress enough how frustrating that is to hear when minors are reported missing to police and they enact a waiting period. That's absurd. Why? <laughs> you know how I feel about the waiting period with missing persons. I know why it exists, but it just feels like there's got to be some middle ground like for people to be able to like be in I just I I always think of the mm-hmm. agony that the parents or whoever is reporting that their child the is waiting gone. game is absurd the I waiting mean, is so intense and just agonizing I I feel so bad for his mom and you're well you're kind of left out of options too like as soon as you're shut down by law enforcement when you're looking for your missing child this is a 17 year old it's a yeah. minor yeah when you're shut down what are your options? You can go out and you can cruise. You can go to the school. You can ask neighbors for help. But they're supposed to be your resource. So I I don't know. Just researching this, I was like, this is so wrong. Um, but truly, also, I have to ask, was <laughs> the Valdosta police station really that busy that they couldn't even send a cruiser out? See, are we that stacked? Are we that backed <laughs> up that we can't even send patrol out? <laughs> That's always my feeling about it because I think that – the reasoning behind it is so that like the police doesn't, you know, utilize their resources in a way that, you know, ultimately if it's just a kid that's like run away or roaming around, but what else are they probably doing at that time of night? Like sitting, just watching a parking lot, watching two kids make out like probably. <laughs> I, yeah, it's just, I don't really understand the non-action, but it's interesting because while yeah. doing research for this, there are some people who actually said that this is not customary and they're like, this is not normal when it comes to a minor and police kind of having – they're supposed to have an immediate response. And they had the exact opposite, which felt kind of intentional, especially given some of the prior knowledge of what might have happened to Kendrick, who might have been involved. And once we take a step back and we look a, a bit closer at things. But regardless, Jackie Johnson, she arrives at the school. She's talking with the guidance counselor. And her hope is that he just went to like a friend's house his phone died, and it's possible his friend's phone died. And for whatever reason, he just never called home, even though she knows that's not like him. But she wants to believe it. She wants to believe that it's him making a mistake because the other scenario is darker and scarier. Now, timing-wise, while she's at the school, Jackie Johnson, she's in a completely different part of the building. She's talking to that guidance counselor. In another part of the building, at the gym, there are a couple of students who are basically walking alongside these rolled up mats that are stationed near the bleachers and they're standing up vertically, like they're upright. And just to paint the picture a bit further for you about these mats, they're really big. They're like seven feet high, three feet across each. And they're compl- they're like really closely stacked together, heavy, heavy mats. So a lot of people seemed unclear about why this girl was doing this, but she's kind of like standing. She gets up on the bleachers and then stands on top of the mats and she's like jumping from mat to mat. Because they're really sturdy. Like, you're not going to knock them over. They're not going to fall. So she's kind of just having fun. But while she's doing this, 
she catches a glimpse down towards her feet and she saw what she thought for a second looked like a pair of human feet wearing Hanes socks. And she was like, no, no, I, I probably couldn't have seen what I thought I just saw. And it's dark, like these barrels go deep. So she's like calling her friends over. She's like, can you come look at this? She's like, help me in. I'm trying to see something. They come over and she sticks her head a bit further down into the mat and she shrieks that there is a person inside of the mat. So two of the athletic directors, they come running over, they pull the mat down, they rip it down from the upright position and they unroll it. And spilling out onto the gymnasium floor is the body of 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson as well as a significant amount of blood and vomit. Really, really dark image. I have full body chills. It's terrifying. I mean, I can't I mean I can't imagine discovering that, but I can't imagine the horror of actually pulling the mat down and seeing him in the state that his body was in. Right. Must have must have been horrifying for the room, but the gym teachers, they told all the students they said evacuate the gym immediately. So everybody gets out and within minutes there is a call that comes up to the guidance counselor's office where Jackie Johnson can vividly remember hearing through the muffled volume on the phone that the body of a student was just found in the school gym. And she knew, standing there in that moment, in the pit of her stomach, that that was Kendrick. She knew something was very, very wrong here. And to her recollection, in that moment, the guidance counselor basically darts out of the room. Like, she immediately just runs because it's an emergency. And Jackie Johnson collapsed into a chair in the room and just started going numb, just blank. And although it hadn't been confirmed yet that this was her son... And she wanted to hope for the best. She knew deep down Mm -hmm. that her instincts here, that something was wrong, were probably right. By the time police and EMS arrived, they get to the scene. This is like within the hour. I think they're able to accurately identify the body as 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson. And this was the beginning of a growing list of questions that only got worse. Namely, I would say, or most notably, is how exactly did a 5'10", 160-pound teenager end up upside down inside of a rolled-up gym mat. So I'll stop there just so we can pause and talk through that a little bit. I feel it's horrible to go through this part of the story because just kind of imagining how this unfolded in real time for this mother, I can't really fathom what that day must have been like for her because you don't forget those days. Like, I'm sure that date is burned into her mind. Also, the part that I'm really stuck on is mm-hmm. just the sheer reveal of the body is so sinister. It's shocking. Like, yeah. It's so shocking. Like to roll that out and like have him appear in and you said in vomit and blood. I mean, that is so yeah. horrific. Um, so I'm I'm immediately thrown by like that image um, to think that somebody thought that like that Mm -hmm. was going to be a good place to hide him without thinking about whenever they did eventually find the body, how like in a way like performative it kind of is like, it's pretty messed up. That's so weird to do that. Why not? It's interesting what you're saying because you're, you're kind of immediately taking like the baseline of the story and it sounds like foul play to you. It sounds like, does it? Yeah. Because that's not, that's not the angle that everybody else took. So maybe I should jump into a little bit of that of like how the story actually gets told. Yeah. I should well, I'll go back to like the actual discovery. Like I said, the mom is in the guidance counselor's office. She gets the news. 
within the hour, I think he's identified. His dad actually wasn't even in town at the time because he he's mm-hmm. a truck driver. So once he got word of this, he had to make his way back in the direction of the town. And I think he was the first he was the first parent in that gym to identify his son in the body bag. <sighs> now, the first version of this story that comes out really comes from the question of why Kendrick Johnson would have been in the gym near those mats in any scenario. Like, how could any of this make sense? So what is proposed by the school and then later backed by the investigation in the state is that many students in the school would actually hide a lot of their belongings inside these mats and, like, in between them. And I w- that was confusing for a lot of people, and me included, because I was like, why would anybody be doing that? They would just put them in their lockers, right? Wrong. <laughs> Apparently, in this high school, there are like 3,000 students, like I mentioned, and lockers are not readily available for every student, which is absurd. That's crazy. Mm. Yeah. And if you wanted a locker, I mean, I understand if like the actual building can't accommodate more lockers, but you have to figure out another like safe storage option for students. That's crazy. But if you wanted a locker to store your belongings, you would have to rent one out, which led many students who either couldn't afford it or just did not want to pay They would have to hide their belongings in different spots all around the school. That alone feels like a lawsuit to me. (laughs) Grounds for some kind of lawsuit. Absolutely. And I'm sure that because of that, there were certain areas maybe where the mats are or whatever, where students Mm -hmm. knew the like what kinds of things were stored there. I I, maybe that's a far reach, but, you know, there's probably like, oh, you know, paraphernalia and go hide your paraphernalia in like the mats in the Mm -hmm. gym and stuff like that. Like it's just irresponsible on the school's part. My goodness. Yeah. Well, I think the mats were also typically laid down. They were rolled up, but they were laid um, horizontally. So they were stacked up like this because they had just come back from break. They were on like winter break. So I think for some reason, for whatever reason, like maybe for cleaning or like, I don't know, repolishing the gym floor over break. I think they probably got the mats up and out of the way. Mm. So I think what happened is this is the story that comes out according to the official theory that gets put forward by the initial investigation. The mats, like I said, which were typically laid down, they get put up over the holiday break. And this theory suggests that Kendrick hid an expensive pair of shoes inside one of the mats that he forgot about. And then when the mats got pushed up, the shoes were like stuffed at the bottom So he came back to retrieve them from the mat when it was in the upright position. Now, like I said, the mats are extremely heavy, very cumbersome, which is why they think it led to the following decision. They suggested that Kendrick ran up, and rather than attempt to pull the mat down, he actually crawled on top of it from the bleachers and then dove headfirst inside (gasps) the mat, thinking that he was going to be able to grab the shoes at the bottom and then get back out. This was backed by the position that he was found in because he was completely upside down with his head facing towards the bottom of the mat. And he was kind of wedged like close to the bottom as it got more narrow. I find that astounding to think that that was a really like substantial part of this theory they were putting out because I can't really imagine whether you're an adult or you're a teenager that you would not have the reasoning skills to figure out if you're not even six feet tall that you're not going to be able to dive down into the barrel of a mat and grab something at the bottom and then get yourself out. How would you possibly think that's going to work? It doesn't make sense. Nobody would do that. I don't think anybody would do that. No, it would have to be 
the more logical explanation I would think was that he was looking down and maybe because it's of its like tube like structure, if it's rolled up, that he's looking down to see if his shoes are down there and he falls and then would get lodged in there. I mean, I can see that. I mean, that would you'd have to be pretty clumsy to fall into into that thing, though. No, I mean, it's definitely possible. I could imagine it if he was walking on top of the mats in like an upright position and then slipped down that way. So his feet were going first. He dove head first, head first into the mat with his arms at his side. Yeah, because I'm thinking even if you're looking down into the mat trying to see, Mm -hmm. you'd probably have your arms kind of up to hold you to look down into it, I would think. Yeah, they'd be at the at the corners of like the barrel of the mat. You'd be gripping like the sides as you're like leaning in. I can definitely see a scenario like that, but I just can't imagine one that someone would lose their balance and wouldn't be able to catch themselves if they were going to fall into the barrel of a mat yeah and i know it's it's hard for me to believe yeah i know that they're sturdy but i feel like i used a similar type of mat like in cheerleading Mm -hmm. and stuff and i mean even i think if you if i were to dive head first into i think it would still fall like they're not made of concrete like you know they're unless they're Mm -hmm. wedged in between a bunch of other mats like i would think the thing would knock over but maybe not that's possible i actually don't have any information about if it was like i don't know pushed in with a bunch of other mats because that Mm -hmm. could definitely eliminate the possibility that you could like swing yourself side to side or like use any momentum in there but also if you're like head first and it gets narrow towards the bottom and your arms are then squished to your sides You don't have any way to get yourself out. You're just That's stuck so upside down. It's terrifying, especially on a day. Well, it, it's suspected that it happened midday. So it's possible that the gym classes didn't even. No, there was a gym class that came in, I think, after this. Which is even stranger to think that you wouldn't hear somebody if they were in that position, if they were yelling, if they were still alive. But I should talk about the autopsy, actually, because this is where things get really interesting. Because the theory that Kendrick just fell in and was upside down, this ran in tandem with the very first autopsy of Kendrick's body to suggest that he died from being upside down. So this autopsy was conducted by the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. And I have looked personally into other cases. Specifically, I'm thinking of Tamla Horsford. This bureau has a very dodgy track record when it comes to the autopsies they put out for various reasons but according to their examination the way they believe this happened was that he went into the mat upside down by accident and that it was a combination of being upside down for a prolonged period of time and there was pressure on his diaphragm so he just stopped being able he just couldn't breathe at a certain point like there was too much pressure on the diaphragm and it just slowed his breathing to the point where he eventually passes out Um, he also had compression coming in from the sides of the mat towards the bottom of the barrel, and eventually he just dies from asphyxiation. With hours passing in this position, a full day actually, after he was dead, all of the blood in his body eventually like eventually rushed to his head. So his whole face like completely swelled to a very unnatural and extreme proportion. And eventually blood starts like leaking from his nose and his mouth. And eventually I think he just vomited post-mortem is what they were saying. So that's what they saw when they unrolled the mat. According to their investigation, 
they found no signs of blunt force trauma which could suggest any indication of foul play or that there had been a struggle involving another person. So it would seem like a closed case of a tragic accident of a student who made a bad decision, but there is more to this story. The initial findings of this autopsy and investigation did not sit right with officials from around the country who were following this case. And most specifically, uh, they want to call out, actually, and I would call out that county police completely, completely botched most of this crime scene. Shocked. (laughs) And they failed to report some pretty substantial evidence that I'm going to get into that was found there. And kind of told more of the story or could potentially tell more of the story about how and why he was in this mat. So I'm going to dive into some of that counter evidence. But just any thoughts on that right off the bat? Does it sound plausible that this could have been of his own doing? It sounds plausible, but it feels like Final Destination type of death. I mean, it feels absolutely insane to think that someone could fall through and just... It just doesn't sound natural um which is why i think i'm having such trouble wrapping my head around it but i guess any i I guess it's possible i mean i guess it is possible i would agree with that i when i first took a look at this case i'm like this is tragic in any scenario whether we're going the route of foul play or we're saying this was an accident it's a horrible accident if it is but and I, i was willing to believe that it was possible until i took a deep dive into some of the evidence that they found and some of the evidence that's been lost. (laughs) And that really sunk this for me where I was like, this is too abnormal. This is way too abnormal for me to believe that it's a cut and dry accident. Because if so, I would expect full transparency of every angle of this. And I don't have that. Mm. Me as a nobody. I'm talking as As if I'm an investigator. (laughs) (laughs) J. Edgar Hoover on the mic, y'all. I'm like, I expect complete transparency in all cases I review. And I did not get that. (laughs) I'll make a call to Spotify. So I'm going to dive into some of that counter evidence I was talking about. And let's discuss what else was found. So it was mentioned that Kendrick was found with a significant amount of blood on his body and on his head. Right. But what was not mentioned straight away was that there was also blood that was found on the walls inside the gym, as well as a pair of shoes that were found at that gym that were not connected back to Kendrick and have not been connected back to anybody else in that school. And the blood that was found on those was not Kendrick's blood. Let's pause with that right off the bat, because that is something. That is something. Whose... What? Whose blood is that? <laughs> like, Well... Could it be like somebody got hit in gym class and they just wiped their blood off their face and they smeared it on the wall or something? That's the theory they lead with. They're like, in fact, they go so strong with that where they're like, well, this could have just been the blood from another student. So they actually don't collect it as evidence. They don't submit it as evidence, which it's like if you're looking at something that whether it's an accident or a potential homicide, you would think specifically you would think if there's blood even if it's probably from another student from a while ago or something you would be like let's sample that and maybe let's submit it and i can agree to that and maybe understand that in the scenario of it being found on the wall the anonymous shoes in there also having that same blood on them and nobody ever claiming those shoes 
That's weird to me. That doesn't make sense to me. Why? Right. And what you could gather from, I'm sure, the shoes and the blood is how fresh is the blood. How fresh is, you know, the grass or something on the shoes and would mm-hmm. it maybe seem like somebody was in there? It's funny because I think when um questioned about this, because this office was hit with quite a few questions while they were investigating it. And I think one of the lieutenants at the sheriff's office specifically says, he goes on the record and says this, he goes that the blood they found gave them no reason to believe that that blood was connected to Kendrick Johnson's case. But when asked to go into additional details about that, he couldn't. (laughs) I just can't imagine why we're evading submitting samples of this. At the very least, it costs and takes no time to submit a sample of this when you're looking at all of the evidence. But they chose not to do that. And I don't know why. Well, they might have been protecting some, you know, a student body member or I don't know. Well, that's what everybody's thinking. They're like, well, let me get into a little bit more about this crime scene because I actually think this is going to color this a bit more before I start diving into some of the theories about why police may have done what they did and who might be involved. So... They go on. They keep acting like this couldn't possibly be connected to Kendrick's case in any way, shape, or form. I think that's strange. And it is one of the stranger parts of this investigation. Now, what I also find weird about those shoes that were found with the blood on them, they were not collected at all as evidence, and they're missing. Nobody knows where they are. Why? And, sorry, I missed this part. There's an unidentified hoodie that was found at the gym that did not belong to Kendrick. I don't know if it had blood on it. That was omitted from some of the research I found, but that is also missing. No one ever claimed it. Hmm. They're kind of dropping the ball here. Those seem like... I mean, it's the only evidence in this case, so it seems baseline that you would collect that and it would be stored somewhere, somewhere in an archive. Right. I wonder if their reasoning behind not doing it is whoever those items belong to, if it's a student, that student, they would really have to protect their identity during the investigation or else like while they're just determining if it could be foul play, because Mm -hmm. you would tarnish that student's reputation. Even if they're completely innocent, everybody Mm -hmm. at school is going to be going to hear so-and-so's like hoodie was found in the gym where, Kendrick was found like, you know, that's that's my thinking behind that. But still, mm-hmm. there's a way to also do that. And like why? Like you said, why not cover all your bases? You could I mean, I agree with you, but you can still keep the you can keep the anonymity of the subject of whoever claims those hoodies or that hoodie and the shoes. But right. you still have to collect those. I mean, you can't just like toss them out in the trash. They're a part of the crime scene. Right. So. That, that's strange in and of itself, but I think this other part is even stranger. So we're actually go- going back and talking about what Kendrick might have been reaching for if he had tried if he tried to go inside of the mat. Those shoes, those expensive shoes, right? The shoes were allegedly found at the bottom of the mat, but they were found without any blood on them whatsoever. So I want to talk about why that's significant because I think it's actually impossible. From the way Kendrick's body was found, from the moment they unrolled the mat and what was under the mat, it was a pool of blood, a significant amount of blood and vomit that had kind of collected at the bottom over 
an entire day of him being in that position. The shoes were allegedly at the bottom. And yet, when they're submitted for evidence, they're completely clean. How is that even possible? I just can't even think of a scenario where this is an accident and those shoes are at the bottom of all of that pooling out of his body. And the shoes are fine unless the shoes were never even a part of the equation in this story. And they were planted maybe after the time police showed up, depending upon who you think is covering for who in this case. Any thoughts on that? Well, I would think you'd want to go to the young woman that discovered him and say, what did you Mm -hmm. see when the mat was unraveled? Or is that how it actually went down? Did it unravel and she saw it or she stuck her head in, saw what she saw was thought was a body. And then they brought in police. Yeah. The latter, the latter. So she thought she saw feet because he was pretty far down in the mat. So it's dark in the, in the middle. She thought she saw feet and she was like, I don't think I saw what I just saw, but she called her friends over because she was a little nervous and she got a deeper look inside and then for sure saw legs, panicked, screamed. And, you know, the two athletic directors who were in the gym, they didn't know what was going on. So they just came over and were panicking. So they ripped the mat down out of like the collection, got it on the floor and just unrolled it. And he just completely spills out onto the floor and the entire gym sees it is what it sounds like. Yeah. But it's strange that I... I haven't found anything, any in like the public facing like witness reports that I could see where people said, oh, yeah, the shoes were for sure there or anybody saw those shoes. Right. It was just noted that his feet from her witness statement did not have shoes, just socks. That's so see, that's weird. Mm -hmm. That's that's very strange. I I could see maybe some. uh, Listen, we're already dealing with perhaps the strangest accident I've ever heard. I can mm-hmm. believe I can suspend my disbelief too to think that the shoes were clean, but the fact that he was found with no shoes on feels like they were taken off and then you know what's crazy? I'm just realizing as you're saying that out loud how strange that is because again, the shoes that were found in the gym were not his shoes, but again, where are his shoes? You know, I yeah, why is he barefoot? That doesn't make any sense. I wasn't even thinking about that. Well, or let's just say these are some expensive, cool shoes and mm-hmm. somebody is like, I don't know, bullying him or saying, you, I want those shoes. Give me those shoes. He takes mm-hmm. them off. And then maybe this person is like taunting him and like throws him down. And I don't know. Or or I'm just trying to think of any scenario where he's sort of fishing for the shoes because somebody was messing with him. You know what I mean? Because why would he I can be see barefoot? A, he might have been planting the shoes. That's I guess. true. He could have but even so, nobody's just like taking the shoes off their feet and planting them and then going barefoot for the rest of the day in school. Totally. That doesn't make any sense to me. Totally. Especially if you don't have a locker anywhere and you don't have another you don't have like a backup pair of shoes anywhere. It doesn't make any sense. No. And especially if they're but really regardless- great shoes. Like if you're yeah, they're your prized possession, nice. why the hell are you hiding them at school where I'm sure there's a bunch of other kids that want them. Yeah, especially kids who know the mat system. Like they know to hide things in the mm-hmm. mats. It doesn't make any sense. But I also want to reference um, this report from the county coroner. His name is Bill Watson. This is a direct quote of what he said. He goes, I was not notified on this death until 1545 hours. The investigative climate was very poor to worse 
when I arrived at the scene and the body had been noticeably moved. The scene had been compromised and there was no cooperation from law enforcement at the scene. Furthermore, the integrity of the evidence bag was compromised. I do not approve of this manner that the scene was handled. Not only was the scene compromised, the body was moved. And I think one of the most damning parts of this report that he went on the record for, this coroner says, information necessary for my lawful investigation was withheld. What the hell is that about? Right. I know people are probably listening. They're like, oh, he's you're painting a picture just in that, the way that I'm delivering this. But this is like black and white, like how this happened. If the coroner is saying this, come on. Okay, so let's think about that statement. Things that he needed to, I guess, perform an autopsy properly. He wasn't able to do is what he's saying. Well, this or, is the coroner. So the coroner oh, is going to be different okay. from the medical. Yeah, yeah. The medical examiner is through like the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. So okay. that person, whoever they are, we're assuming they're corrupt already. <laughs> Can you remind me? I'm embarrassed. A coroner is yeah. somebody that comes and like, do they just take an initial statement yes. of what's happening with the body? Yes. So to my okay. knowledge, the coroner's function is to come and pronounce death, whether it's in okay. a crime scene or an accidental scene or if it's just a natural death. They're there to pronounce death and survey the scene as it looks. Ah. But by the time this guy got there, scene had been compromised. The body had been moved. All of the evidence looked compromised. And he's got cops who are at the scene who aren't answering his questions. That's weird. It's it's not protocol. It's weird. Very weird. I can maybe understand, like, actually, no, I can't understand. I was going to say, I was like, maybe in like a, na- like in a natural death, like maybe a body would be like moved to like, I don't know, like a sleeping position or somewhere else. If it's a natural death, like someone is expected to pass. But when you're talking about a high school student who's found dead inside of a mat, you probably shouldn't touch that scene until an official gets there. Right. The only You probably thing should secure the scene. Right. The only thing I'm thinking is that maybe in a fit of, um, you know, uh, trying to keep all the students calm and not have everybody freak out, somebody that worked at the school foolishly moved the body out of sight, out of, like, tried to get people out of the way. Um, yeah, so that's possible. So students couldn't look at it and, like, kind of create a frenzy. Um, but, I mean, at that point, you don't move the body. And you get everybody out of the room. I mean, and you maybe shield the body with teachers or something. Mm -hmm. But I mean, why in the world, especially of a school, would they put themselves in the danger of potentially messing up a crime scene and like implicating the school or implicating its students? I agree with you. I can I can even imagine what you're saying, where the school was just panicking and they didn't think about securing a crime scene. And maybe it was their fault. Maybe they were the ones who moved it and the police weren't. But I could not understand why police would not cooperate with a coroner. That right. seems strange to me. It doesn't make any sense, actually. There's actually no explanation for it unless you have something to hide or you're withholding information. Mm. And... What I do want to talk about is as tragic as this was for the family, they understand from pretty early on that based on the police force that's investigating this and the way that the family is being treated thus far and this public report from the coroner once that gets out, that 
something about the entire scene feels off and they're unsatisfied with the investigation. The autopsy comes out and the autopsy is saying it's a complete accident. It just tells a different story. So they actually end up requesting an independent examination of the body and they're able to bring in a third party pathologist who can review Kendrick's remains. So on June 15th, we get Dr. William R. Anderson, who would gain access to the remains and conduct his own examination. It was critical, and I cannot stress this enough, given given the alleged history of the GBI, that this was somebody from out of state, and this person happens to practice in Florida. And, I mean, the reason I would say this, I'll just circle back to the Tamla Horsford case, is because that is a very similar situation, I would say. We can cover that case on a different day, where... She was a woman who died mysteriously, and you would find that, like, some of the people who were in the house actually worked in local law enforcement. They were actually connected to the coroner, and some of this actually traces back to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, who carried out her autopsy. So it's a little murky, um, Hmm. which is why people find this bureau to be sus. So this examiner from Florida, he comes in, he does the autopsy, and this is what he finds. According to the public ruling... Of his examination, Dr. William R. Anderson, he found evidence of severe blunt force trauma to the neck and soft tissues around Kendrick's head, which he definitively believes could not have been caused by Kendrick himself. And to further back his findings, he actually sources back to the EMT report. This is really interesting. So the EMS people who arrived, allegedly this report was concealed. They came in and according to their report, Their report is consistent with everything he found because they noted looks like there's severe damage and bruising around the neck and the tissues around the face. That is in direct contrast with the police report, which supported the initial autopsy by the GBI. Again, where are the inconsistencies coming from? Something's off here. Something's weird. Oh, so weird. And also I feel like an EMT... Report is going to be your most unbiased one in a case like this. I agree. I agree 100% with you. Yeah. Oh, man. That is, I did not see that coming. It was, I mean, it's a really good find because, again, I think that report was kind of buried, is what I read. Um, And the, yeah, the police report sat in direct contradiction to that. The only thing that I wish the EMT report listed, which of course it wouldn't because EMTs are not. They're not surveying a crime scene or anything. They're looking at injuries of a body and keeping that as the report. So they couldn't make note of whether or not the shoes were already there because that would be the smoking gun. Right. I don't know. Now, I'm going to get into the next part of this because, believe it or not, the remains actually get even stranger. So not only did this examiner from Florida find all all of this trauma on the neck and around the face, those soft tissues. And he's like, that is blunt force trauma. That's death trauma. The most disturbing of his finds, Kendrick Johnson's body has none of its organs. <gasps> they, they were missing. That's so dark and so scary. The body was found stuffed with crumpled <gasps> newspaper, which was filling it out. Is that not shocking as hell? I can't believe you just did that to me. (laughs) I'm sorry. I should have given you a warning. When I read that, I was I was messed up a bit. Oh, it's well. I when I first read it, I thought it was the funeral home. I was like, oh my god. I was like, they stuffed him with newspapers. So when this comes out, and the examiner's like, that is that is our smoking gun. The funeral home gets attacked publicly. 
the funeral home comes out and they say, no, no, no. When we received the body, it had no organs inside. We had to fill it out with newspaper, which is kind of common in certain circumstances. But they were like, when we got it from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, (gasps) like the GBI, it had no organs. And there was no explanation for that. So then everyone goes back to the GBI and they're like, where are his organs? They threw them away. Why? Why would a medical examiner throw away organs, especially in a body that required an autopsy because it could have been the subject of foul play? There's no answer to that. There's no, I mean, unless it's like horrific negligence, right? I have a muscle that starts to spasm in my neck (laughs) when I get really, no, I mean, I am on this ride and it's going, um, it's going, it's really, it's going. going. I also, I just feel like, first of all, maybe I should back up and temper my like dramatic reaction to this because maybe this is like, I think it's warranted to be honest is it common practice to like remove all of the organs no. and throw them away like no it's not and you know what actually I have another I have a quote actually that I'll get into in a second from I think I, I forget his title but I'll read it in a second he is like the head or the president of the National Association of Medical Examiners and he goes this is not common practice this is abnormal nobody throws out organs <laughs> Nobody does that. So when they went back to the GBI and they were like, why did you get rid of these organs? Why were they discarded? Their response was that because he was upside down for so long, the organs had been compressed and they were essentially destroyed in the body. So once they completed their examination, they discarded the organs as a biohazard. I don't buy that. I don't buy it. I know nothing about medical examinations, but I don't buy it. Well, okay, let's think about why, like, which organ could have been something they'd want to discard of, like. I think it would have been anything that would have shown significant trauma internally to the body that came from an outside source. Right, okay. Because that would indicate that clearly Kendrick was not alone. Whether that's what killed him or not, it could have just indicated that there was a fight, there was a struggle, which completely backs the theory of foul play. Completely. Right. And I mean... So if some... Sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say... I was going to say if somebody was in somebody's ear at the GBI, especially an examiner, allegedly, (laughs) allegedly, I can see a scenario where somebody had reason to make those organs disappear. Absolutely. I could see that. Right. And I was just thinking to myself, the... I understand, I guess, the being upside down so long that you vomit, but... Mm-hmm. I could also see a scenario where if he was like severely like blunt force trauma or something like really knocked out that he like threw up, like I could mm-hmm. see that happening or um, I don't know. Oh, my God. That is so crazy. It's it, it is actually very shocking. You kind of put it in perspective for me with your reaction, because I think I had just done so much research on this. Not that I glossed over that, but I was like in my mind, I was like, that is the red herring to all of it that is the smoking gun because it was either just gross negligence when it came to the handling of remains from a medical examiner or like i said those organs showed clear signs of external physical trauma that went internally that could indicate that this was no accident it's just it's astounding to think that those are gone they're gone but once it i mean 
once this comes out, this is when the case goes to, like, national awareness because everybody's looking at Georgia. And, like, this was the quote I was going to read before. The president of the National Association of Medical Examiners, his name is Gregory Schmunk, he said in a quote of the conduct on this examination, I have never heard of this practice, referring to just how bizarre it is for a medical examiner, a trained professional who does autopsies, to pull every organ out of a body and then not place them back inside before they're going to go to a funeral home. So by the time Kendrick's body gets to the funeral home, they've got no choice but to fill the cavity, to keep the shape of his body, to get him prepared. But if the strangeness around that could not get any more bizarre, outside of the organs being missing, which is horrific, he shows up to the funeral home completely nude. None of his clothing is there. (laughs) You would think, well, they definitely undressed him for the autopsy, but surely, like, the clothing that he had on for the day, it must have been brought to the funeral home, or it's sitting somewhere in an evidence archive. It's missing. It's gone. How did nobody go to jail? Come on, like... How is no one in prison, even if just if, if this was an accident, just for the gross mishandlings of every element of this case? Organs missing, evidence of the scene missing, the clothing he was wearing on the day he died is missing. What are we what are we doing? Like what are we doing? And it just feels like such a disrespectful way to handle this. Just even if it was an accident, even if there was no mm-hmm. foul play involved. It just feels like such a lazy and disrespectful way to go about treating a body. Yeah, it's haphazard for sure. Yeah. But it's also abnormal is what the funeral director said himself. I mean, he was like, it is not customary. I mean, bodies come clothed or they come unclothed, but it's not customary, especially a crime scene body, that the clothing is not brought to the funeral home. Um, All he was given was a broken pair of headphones. So it's clear they had intent to return something, you know, like somebody knew, like we we provide something that was found with his body. But you would think if they were left behind, they're in an evidence locker somewhere. They are just tossed out somewhere. Ugh. I can't make sense of that. I can't. So it's this growing list of mishandlings coming from the investigation. And I think this is a turning point for the family where they realize they have to get representation. So they hired Benjamin Crump, who is a famed civil rights attorney who takes the case to court. And Crump, I think, is instrumental in this because he is actually able to go through the court systems to find some of the more damning evidence on this that doesn't really make sense. He actually uncovers some very strange details about the day Kendrick died that we learned through surveillance footage. So this piece of evidence I want to talk about, outside of everything that we know of the conflict of the medical examinations and whatnot, they used surveillance footage, the GBI, from the school to basically craft the story of the accident, the initial theory of what happened the day Kendrick died. So Crump is able to go through legally to figure out, you know, where is this footage? How was it obtained? He finds out that the school district was not actually even required to provide any of that footage at the request of the the Bureau of Investigations. (laughs) And what the the district did provide, it was select clips at their discretion. So essentially, the protocol to his knowledge of what's supposed to happen is that the investigative body, the GBI in a case, is supposed to show up unannounced to the school with a warrant, and they are to fully confiscate all digital and tangible archives of footage for an investigation. But instead, the GBI simply told the school, we need surveillance footage, 
of the day Kendrick died. And the school gave them time to prepare it. They're like, if you can get that to us at any point. (laughs) So they give over a select portion of clips. We don't know why. And it took them five days to get this together before they could put it on a hard drive. It was found in Crump's investigation after those five days and the footage was reviewed. And he gets access to the footage. There are timestamps missing and we don't know why. Mm. Four separate cameras provided the footage for this story. That's what the district gave over to the GBI, which shows a two-hour window that seems to be missing from all four cameras. The cameras were time-stamped. I think their last stamp was right around 11 a.m., and then somehow we jumped to one in the afternoon, and no one was really able to explain why that was. By coincidence, those missing portions of the video seem to follow the last verifiable footage of Kendrick Johnson where he is seen on camera crossing past one of those cameras in the gym, and then the footage cuts out. Do I have to spell this out for the world? (laughs) I just feel like it can't be any more obvious that something's fishy here. I was really hoping you were going to say, unfortunately, Kendrick was not seen on any of the footage, and then I was going to think to myself no No, he's there (sighs) oh my gosh i haven't had chills from a case like in a a minute where my body is like full body chills throughout the whole thing um sorry to do it to you i had to bounce us back from the flatwoods monster i had to go hard (laughs) i know i'm I'm glad (laughs) i'm glad it's been a minute um that is so because here's the thing why mm-hmm. wouldn't a school unless someone what what all of this is spelling out to me is that there's some sort of connection between the GBI and protecting that school do they know is there a somebody that works there that they know why what like mm-hmm. what is the what is the reasoning behind protecting the school so hard well, like i don't get it i always I say things I always like Tracy's back to. I'm like, follow the money and follow reputations. And this is already a severely bad look for a school, obviously. But when we talk about some of the implications of who could have been behind it, I think it makes more sense, um, specifically about who could have been, you know, pulling the strings in all of this, because there are a couple of students who are named, again, allegations, um, and their father is the FBI the retired FBI agent. So right. I think okay. if anyone would have had the heaviest hand with all of these people, local police, the GBI, possibly even the school district, if somebody knows somebody, it probably would have been this person. And this goes public. I mean, people do come after this family eventually. And I'm going to get into some of the timestamps about why it's a little fishy, this family, and why they fell under suspicion. But there's one other thing I want to talk about, about what you touched on, about, like, why would a school district provide only these clips? So their answer to that was they were like, well, the cameras are motion activated. So they only record when someone's when there's motion, when there's someone walking through them. What doesn't align with that is that not only... Does it cut out after Kendrick Johnson is seen on camera walking through the gym? But we actually don't even see on camera the discovery of his body. Oh. That does not make sense if they're motion activated. People are in the gym. Why would the cameras not be rolling? It cuts from Kendrick walking, huge gap in time. The next time those cameras come on is when he's being wheeled out of the gym in a body bag. That's so dark. So no one's, we never see footage. 
of, I mean, Crump and his investigation, he never saw footage of the body being pulled down from the mat, the discovery of the body, never saw those shoes at the bottom like they allegedly were. We have nothing. We have nothing. It's also, so suspicious. Also, the time window that you just said, 11 to 1, like prime, probably lunch hour where there's going to be kids going throughout the gym, I would think. That's just mm-hmm. bizarro to me. Yeah. I, I, well, I think probably what's more damning is something that he does catch on the camera, which I'm going to get into in a bit. And that's where we're going to get into the Bell Brothers and why they may have had a hand in this. So let's review what we have so far. So we talked about not only did the coroner believe the crime scene was compromised initially, and there are pieces of evidence that are missing, but we, like I said, we don't have footage that can back up the story that we got fed from police that he was found like this, pool of his own blood, the shoes were at the bottom, but somehow the shoes don't have any blood on them. The footage seems tampered with, but they can't necessarily prove that. I just think the likelihood of this disruption happening in all four cameras that we're recording at the same time doesn't doesn't make sense for me. And the words of Benjamin Crump, he says, at the best, this was incompetence and at its worst, it was conspiracy. Something happened in that school that may have involved a larger number of people trying to divert from the story here. But the big question of what I want to get into is why, like you were asking, why would police go through all of this? Why tap resources? Why possibly infiltrate the Georgia Bureau of Investigations for the sake of covering up the murder of one student? So we're going to jump into the motives. But first here, do you have any thoughts on just that? How are you feeling so far with the case and how is this landing? Is it still feeling like accident is in the realm of possibility or are we like way past that? Um, I mean, I was very much entertaining it as um, just right time, right place, right circumstances as it sounded. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I can kind of see that it is feeling more and more and more just you just like hit me over the head with the um, autopsy and the cameras oh and also the the sheer amount of time they had before having to hand over those videos. I mean, five, five days. days. That's a huge there's only, amount There's only of time. one day where he was found and like one day, I guess, where he's assumed to have died. So I don't know what could have taken what kind of deliberation was going on at the school where they're like, let's get these clips together, you know? Right. And honestly, the thing that really like felt like the nail in the coffin for me was you saying that there's a portion of the video where you see him walking in the gym. (sighs) Stu, it's so haunting because that's the thumbnail that everybody really uses, like Mm -hmm. in articles and, you know, different, you know, research blogs about this YouTube videos, they always use the last timestamp where Kendrick Johnson is seen on camera. And that also puts into question some of the motive about why he was even going in the gym, because we only have two possibilities here. We have him walking in to retrieve those shoes, or we have him going in there to meet somebody for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But I think if I'm remembering correctly, the shoes, he's wearing shoes in the video. But he's found barefoot with just socks. The barefoot thing is the other part that I really can't get over. That feels so out of place. 
It would be one thing if they had an explanation for these things, but they just don't, which is shocking to me that nobody holds their feet to the fire, really. And it's, it kind of feels quite literally like people can get away with murder. But I don't know if it it's like a weird case of like if it quacks like a duck, walks like a duck. Yeah, it probably is. Now, I'll get into the next phase of this and talk about some theories around motive. So where we're at, we're at with the Johnsons, they believed at this point, once the attorney came came out with all of this in his private investigation, they were like, we have enough evidence to support this theory that Kendrick Johnson was beat to death by former classmates in this gym during school. His body was then dumped inside of a rolled up mat upside down to hide it. So they go and they file a wrongful death suit, which named 38 people across school and law enforcement, and including the students that are suspected here, who are potentially involved in the murder and cover-up of Kendrick Johnson. This was a serious and massive lawsuit in Georgia. It amassed a $100 million claim. And let's just discuss like a few potential suspects here, if we're going to go forward with this theory that Kendrick Johnson was beaten to death by other students. So I reference back to a really um, controversial piece of investigative journalism that came out from Ebony Magazine when they looked into this case. They zeroed in on the Bell brothers. Now, these were two other students, but the eldest Bell brother was actually a former student of Lowndes High. So he had already graduated, while his younger, the younger brother, he was a classmate of Kendrick Johnson's and allegedly a former rival on the football team who had issues with him. According to the investigative journalism from Ebony Magazine, and again, I'll say again, this is all just an allegation. Unconfirmed reports came through from other students at the school that the Bell brothers had reason to get even with Kendrick Johnson following a brutal fight that took place on a school bus about a year and a half prior to Johnson's death. Kendrick's mother was also later able to verify that this fight did take place because her and one of these Bell brothers, they were kicked off of the bus because of this fight. To her description of what happened, the younger Bell brother attacked her son on the bus, and these attacks were not isolated, according to the mother. There were reports found at the school where Kendrick's mother had actually filed complaints against these boys who had allegedly been routinely antagonizing her son on the football team. And the school failed to provide any evidence that they followed up on these reports or intervened. Interestingly, when approached by investigators, the Bell brothers outright refused to cooperate with an interview following advice from their father, who, like I said, is the former FBI agent Mm -hmm. and reportedly is very connected, allegedly, to county law enforcement. Old friends kind of thing. So some have said that he had very clear reason to protect his sons in this case. The suit from the Johnsons alleged that the Bell brothers had killed Kendrick Johnson in an attack either on purpose or it was an accident, like they tried to beat him up, panicked, and then stowed the body in the mat. Once their father became privy to that information, he allegedly conspired with the resources he had to ensure the death would be ruled as accidental and everybody would forget about it. Interestingly, and sitting in complete contrast of the story that we have about Kendrick versus the Bell Brothers, the Bell Brothers' mother, Karen, actually goes on the record, uh, and she says to her story that Kendrick and the younger Bell Brother were actually great friends. Something that nobody else has corroborated, like, not a single person. So it's interesting to me that she would go out of her way to push a false narrative that Kendrick and the younger Bell Brother were close if they weren't, unless it's a case where she's truly just trying to get suspicion off of her kids. I don't know. How do you feel about that? 
I feel like it's a crock of you know what. I mean, I don't know why yeah. you would. I don't. It feels like you've swung way too. Like you've you've overshot mm-hmm. the mark. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. If if you have the protection of your husband and he's somebody that's already, you know, he can kind of spin things or protect things as he wants. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you wouldn't just be honest and say, but. My sons were not close with him, uh, and that's that. Or if, if anything, I mean, if there's true innocence there, it's why not tell the truth? I right. mean, if you truly have nothing to hide, you have no reason to lie. That should be the baseline in all investigations, that if they're going to do – they're not going to frame these kids, you know? Right. It feels like very much like a thou doth protest too much situation. Why would you say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So I was odd. thinking that too. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. And I think they even probe her a bit more and they ask about the son's like unwillingness, like both of those kids to cooperate with the investigation. And they get a statement where she sort of like loosely said that they were not cooperating because they wanted to evade any growing suspicion on their involvement in Kendrick's death, which was also the same reason that the Bell brothers did not attend his funeral, despite nearly the entire school being in attendance. Mm. So it's kind of like she said the quiet part out loud. She's like, well, you know, they're not cooperating because they don't want anyone to be suspicious it's like well yeah ma'am yes indeed (laughs) we we understand that part (laughs) but in what could be i think some of the most damning evidence that involves the bell brothers on the day kendrick johnson died you're gonna flip when you hear this found in some of the surveillance footage that was obtained during crump's investigation the older bell brother is seen inside the school on the day kendrick died goodbye He is not a high schooler. He has already graduated. (laughs) Why is he in that school on the day? I have full body chills. I'm giving myself chills. I I just got him again. I, mm -mm. I'm sorry. No, that okay. That three strikes and we're out. That's the third strike for me. I'm I am committed to the idea. So I can write down what I just swore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking out a notebook. Did you swear? Eleven, eleven. I think, yeah. I think I said, I'll mark it down again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can I say it if you've already? (laughs) Just for the 11 11 mark. Yeah, go for it, girl. (laughs) Does it feel good? I hope it was worth it. (laughs) It feels so worth it. Whoa. Um, Who the hell hangs out at their old high school if they're not up to, if they're up to no good is the only thing I can think of. And on all days, it happened to be the day that Kendrick dies. Uh Mm -mm. Be for real with me. I'm an investigator. (laughs) It's just, it's just extremely sus. It's uh, so, well, he gets questioned on this, obviously. So his story, and this gets backed up actually. So it kind of seems like part of this might've been like orchestrated a little bit. He had graduated, yes. However, he was back at the school because he was going to attend a wrestling match, um, which I think it's assumed he was going to be there in support of, like rooting uh, younger underclassmen on, like old friends kind of thing. It's very suspicious that these are the only two students who fell under suspicion, and they both happen to be in the building on the same day. And the thing that they're going to is probably in the gym. (laughs) 
So it's not actually. So oh, okay. only the older, yeah, only the older Bell brother. It's actually, we're going to go to Macon, Macon, Georgia. Oh my God. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they get on, the older Bell brother is getting on a bus that's going to take the whole wrestling team. He's like hitching a ride with them to go out to Macon, which is like a three hour drive. But it would prove that this statement of his story is kind of inconsistent. There's lots of timestamps here on foot traffic that do not make sense to me. So here's what we've got. I'm going to run through everything. According to his statement, he was on the bus and had already left by 10.30 a.m., which puts him out of the window to have killed Kendrick Johnson. According to the bus driver, the bus, he's like, we left sometime in the afternoon, like 12.30. According to the school records, the bus didn't leave till 4.30 p.m. So we're all (laughs) over the place. Like, nothing seems credible. The 4.30 p.m. timestamp is the most interesting because it comes hours after the suspected window when we believe Kendrick Johnson died. So in the instance of the 4.30 p.m. timestamp scenario, if that's correct, there's a clear window there where something could have happened in that gym between Kendrick Johnson, maybe a fight that went wrong between one of the brothers, both of the brothers. So I went back and I really tried to hone in and assemble what I think is the most credible timestamp of this day. So here are the facts that we know. The bus, for sure, did not leave by 10.30 a.m., as the Bell brother insisted, which is also weird, that he's like, no, we absolutely left at 10.30 a.m. It's so absolutely not the truth. Right. The coach's phone, and we know this is true, because the coach's phone, I think, actually pinged at the school from a phone call that was made in Valdosta around 11 a.m. or just after. So the last time that I think we have surveillance footage where we're seeing Kendrick walking, I think is close to the afternoon. It's around one, if we're assuming the timestamp is correct, untampered with. The bus ride from Valdosta to Macon, like I said, is three hours. So the only record that we have to back this up is that the bus with the team showed up and checked in right after 4 p.m. So that suggests that if there's good traffic, it's possible the bus could have left maybe close to 1.30 p.m., So if we're sticking to that timestamp that we saw Kendrick walking shortly after one in the gym and then everything goes blank, something happens in like an 11 minute window, 109 to like 130, and then the bus leaves at 130, that's critical. Something very well could have happened in that gym that we haven't seen. I can feel Nancy inside of me. I can feel it. I was going to say, I know, Nancy is about to take over like a werewolf, honestly. Yeah, I feel like my neck pulsating. Yes, that's what that spasm is I have. Um, It's the Nancy (laughs) spasm in my neck. Um, I I am still just sidebar shocked that they went to the wrestling match after all this happened. That's some that's some Southern. (laughs) Y'all, we still got a wrestling match on the books. (laughs) <laughs> we got to get to Mike and they've got great, get great Mike restaurants and. out there. <laughs> well, I mean, we should talk about that 11 minute. It's a slim window, but I'm not going to say it's off the table because we have covered cases like Patrice Andres. The It's literally called the missing 13 minutes because it's an extremely short window where she was abducted in between appointments. So things can certainly go down in like a 10 minute time frame where there's a fight. It doesn't take long to fight until you, you know, make a fatal blow. And then maybe you panic, or maybe they didn't even know he was dead. I also yeah. went through that. See, I was that's like, what I'm maybe thinking. thought they knocked him out, and they like dumped him in the mat, like "good luck" yep. kind yep. of thing. Yep. And I then, see that. yeah, yeah, it's pretty malicious to assume that they. I I mean I can't imagine they had the intent to kill him 
in broad daylight in a gym. I think they may be intended to beat him up mm-hmm. and it was a fatal accident. But even so, they killed him. And either that, they killed him and then they were like, we have to hide the body. Or they thought they just knocked him out and then dumped him, like you were thinking, in the mat. And kind of like walked away and went off with their day. Like one of them goes to the cafeteria for lunch, the younger one. And the other one gets on a bus and goes to Macon. Also, think about if you're, if you've knocked him out, you're about to dump him in that mat. Wouldn't Mm -hmm. you take, wouldn't you take off his shoes? Like just to mess with him. Oh, that's so dark and probably so true. Yeah. (sighs) Like take the one thing that you know he likes. Yeah, the one thing you've got on your body. Oh, that's so dark. I mean, I don't know what kind of shoes they are, but I mean, I knew people that I went to high school with that loved Mm -hmm. collecting sneakers and that would have been like a prize thing, I'm sure, if they took them off. they were Jordans. Yeah, I mean, Jordans are, that's what I was thinking this whole time. Well, following this investigative piece of journalism that comes out of Ebony Magazine, you can imagine how badly this blew up for the Bell family. So the Bell family ends up suing the magazine for defamation, and they get a settlement of half a million dollars because there's no additional evidence to connect them to the case because we're missing half of it. <sighs> I have to calm myself down. <laughs> like, they, they also argued that the proposed timestamp um, or window of the murder happening was just Im- an impossible feat to imagine. But like I said, I think we've seen stranger things happen in a condensed period of time. I think 11 minutes is more than enough time that this could have gone down. But outside of all that, according to the parents, the scrutiny around the children just became so, so intense once this, once this hit national news and it had deep ramifications for the family, specifically the older brother. He lost his spot at Florida State. Um, because they did not want the bad press. And the younger brother reportedly became agoraphobic due to the constant hounding of the press. Which, again, I would say small small things in this. If you're not guilty, there is nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to fear. Go out and tell your story, you know? I just can't imagine. And I also can't equate whatever, I don't know, suffering this family thinks they've been through compared to what the Johnsons have been through. Right. Seeing their son like that, he did not look anywhere near himself. I've seen those photos. He was horrible, like in a horrible state. But this gets even worse for them, actually, because their lawsuit that they tried to seek $100 million, the wrongful death lawsuit, I think it gets thrown out by a judge in Georgia. Not only does it get thrown out, but the Johnsons are ordered to pay nearly $300,000 to those they accused for their legal fees, which is so (gasps) heinous. They basically bankrupt this family. (sighs) Not only did they lose their son in what I think is one of the most horrific ways, whether it's an accident or it was foul play, but they're basically wiping this family completely. Like, there's no way. 300 grand in legal fees to these people. The smartest thing they could have done was come out and said, we are so sorry for your loss. Our sons had nothing to do with this. And Mm -hmm. somehow you become a united front in front of the press. Protect. That's how you protect your sons. That's how you, Mm -hmm. if you're, if I'm, you know, Mrs. Bell, I'm going to do the right thing and not basically uh, 
either like overstate like saying they were friends or yeah don't embellish the story to like skew a narrative you just look more suspicious it doesn't make any sense it's just well the case does i think get reopened even though the lawsuit gets tossed out because it goes to the federal level and they try to basically look at both sides of the private investigation that came from the johnsons once they got the pathologist in from florida versus the gbi and it was inconclusive they could not determine how he actually died because he had no internal organs left, you know, like so much of, and they had no evidence. They were like, maybe if we could obtain the clothes or there were samples of the blood from that day, but like years had passed at this point and everything was missing. And they have a very limited amount of surveillance footage that seems tampered with that they can go off of. So they're like, we cannot rule one way or the other. But what we do know is that there's insufficient evidence. So because of that, we have to throw out the investigation. So if anything, whether or not you believe that there was foul play involved here, the GBI and specifically these county police grossly mishandled, if not intentionally mishandled, the investigation. And I think it's it's really, really bad that the wrongful death suit not only was thrown out, but that the family was countercharged for the legal fees. That's really bad. Awful. I do have one thing to leave us on, um, which could give a glimmer of optimism for this, because the county sheriff, I believe it's the county sheriff, uh, who's in this this town, retired. So there is a new county sheriff who I think approached the case as of 2020 because the Johnsons petitioned to have the case reevaluated by the new sheriff. And that person has agreed um, to reexamine 17 boxes worth of remaining evidence that's at the station to evaluate anything that might have been missed any of the, you know, the discrepancies. However, there has been no public follow-up on the reevaluation of the case as it still remains somewhat in the air, which is why I wanted to revisit this with you because I think this is a critical time and a crucial time to keep talking about this case and kind of keep the word of mouth going about this case and just keep pressure on this county because, you know, it's a lot of talk. Like, you can say, like, yeah, we're going to look at evidence. This was back in 2020. Like, we're going to hit 2024 and we don't have answers you know, Absolutely. something should come from that. Whether it's saying we couldn't find anything new or there is something new, you just have to hear something for the sake of the family, for the sake of Kendrick's story. So I specifically, in any scenario, whether they do rule this is officially an accident or homicide, I want police to answer to why they compromised the scene, why his clothing is missing, why we have choppy footage, and why his organs have been discarded. Those are my final thoughts on the Kendrick Johnson case. Any final thoughts from you, Stu? Because that was a lot I tossed your way. <laughs> you doing okay? I should check in. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm good. I think I'm I'm like fired up and I'm trying to check myself because I don't want to walk away from this feeling like I have, you know, pinned Bell Brothers or, or any, you know, county police or something like that. But mm-hmm. as much as I enjoy pinning county. Um, <laughs> but it just feels... I mean, I, I, I'm, I started with the feeling of just, oh my gosh, that is so terrifying to think of the way he mm-hmm. died and the unwrap, like literally the unraveling, but the reveal of his body. And you'd oh, think that with something that strange and that upsetting at a school that they would handle this with the most attention and like dexterity that they could. And they... Yeah just botched it which it just feels like such a everything yeah everything. If, if it nothing else like the piece of the family 
and the school, like the student body, that's what like you ultimately it should be about figuring out the truth, what happened. But mm-hmm. there's a way to go about it where you're inspiring like at least some sort of like peaceful resolution and like intelligence behind how you go about figuring out what the truth is. Like, and it just feels mm-hmm. like they were so sloppy. Incredibly. I I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, if anything, they should just be aiming towards closing the chapter. Yeah. You know, you want to get to answers, but it just seems like every step of the way. And I can't believe that it was all coincidence. You know what I mean? There are just so many mishandlings from so right. many different departments. Like school district is at fault. Initial police are at fault. The examiner for the GBI is at fault. Like all of these people it feels like so many things are going wrong that, yeah, it feels like a conspiracy is shaping up. I don't know if I can definitively say whether or not the Bell brothers truly had any hand in this because I can see how you would try to fit, like, force fit a narrative if, like, they were seen, especially the older one is seen on that footage, and that could have just been a coincidence of the day. And then maybe it's just you know, backstory of, like, he had issues with them, so they've got to be at fault. I'm almost willing... In any other scenario, I would be willing to say, like, people are just, like, force-fitting a narrative on those kids. One of them's an adult. I shouldn't say he's a kid. But I just think there are so many mishandlings with this that it feels hard to look away from it. It feels hard for me. I mean, it's it's possible to even assume that the judge who threw out the wrongful death case was impartial. I mean, we're gravely underestimating the power of a former FBI agent and those inherent connections— He's also right. probably at retirement age, so he's like, he's not new to this field. He's been around the block, and he's had a lot of handshakes. Right. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me protect us. Sorry. What can is the I... most damning piece of evidence for you? Oh, sorry. I, I didn't want to cut oh, you no. off. <laughs> I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. I can't get over that he was found with his shoes off. I think that's so bizarre. I think that's so, so weird. Upside down. In what the world? Sho- the shoes off does not make sense. It and does I not also, make sense. The clean shoes at the bottom of the mat, uh-uh. impossible to me. Because Impo- here's the thing. If we're going with the first theory that it's an accident, the only way that that makes sense is if he was reaching for or planting shoes at the bottom. And if we're saying the bottom was covered in this pool of blood and vomit and the shoes are submitted to evidence and they're completely clean, sterile, like they were taken right off his feet, right off the kid's feet – doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. Doesn't align. That creepers. I'm sorry. Ugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know this was a heavy hitter, but hot damn. Hot should damn. people talk about this story? They really should. Do you know what else I was thinking? What? At some point, we should do a bracket of county police botched cases. Oh, God. <laughs> what would be comparable to this? That'd be so funny. Oh, my Not God. funny, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Just like. Is this the worst one? I can't remember being this like riled up about one in a while. Um, I'm just trying. The to only one I'm thinking of memory. is Dylan Parker. I'm thinking yeah. Dylan Parker maybe. Dylan Parker had a lot that seemed left on the table. Um, I don't know, not Patrice Andres because I feel like they did a good, a solid job in that. But yeah, oh, Jalea Davis. Yes, that's who I was thinking of. Jalea Davis. Oh yeah, Jale- Yeah. <laughs> This is up there. This is neck and neck for sure. And like maybe episode 50. Episode. Oh, 
Should we tease it or should we keep it a mystery? I think that's it. That's the tease. <laughs> that's the tease. Whatever's going to happen on episode 50, you guys. Actually, I think I spoiled it on a live on TikTok, but only oh, a select you? handful know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only a handful of them know what's coming for episode 50. <laughs> mm, well, creepers, keep it keep it under wraps. But yeah, I mean, this is just like such gross negligence. It's I really am glad that you're you revisited it and that you keep it alive because I oh, I hate to think that something like that, if it was not an accident, was that easily covered up. Something so like just foul. Like, oh, it's, ter- it's terrifying to think that something like that could get swept under the rug. Something that seems to have so many cracks in the foundation of a cover up. Mm-hmm. But that's why we talk about these cases. That's why we keep putting pressure on them, because even if it's an accident, clearly The family does not agree with that. And clearly the family wants pressure on this case. So continue to talk about it. We'll continue to look at these stories. And Creepers, thank you so much. Thank you from both of us for sitting through that, for listening to us. Because that was a heavy-hitting case. And I'm really happy we got to talk about it. That's got to be up there for me, actually. I think that's one of the, the darker ones that we've covered for sure on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm like in shock. I'm also in shock. I, I can tell. <laughs> I'm in shock that Nancy did not escape either of our bodies, and that's probably for the best. Uh, yeah, I had to take a tamazepam before I got on so I could chill out. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't take tamazepam. Creep time. The podcast does not support that. <laughs> Anywho, Creepers, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're going to catch you guys next week for a Friday episode. Stu, should we do it? Should we say goodbye? Goodbye, creepers. Bye, everybody. We'll catch you next week.